So this year, uh, for Thanksgiving, my wife and I went back to Connecticut to spend the holiday with my family. And so we arrived at my parents' house Wednesday afternoon and pretty much immediately got to work um, helping to prepare with my parents for this meal for the following day. And so on Thursday, we spent our morning, again, cooking and assembling. And so, uh, honestly, I can't take much credit for very much of the meal. Probably my greatest contribution was keeping an eye on this giant fryer my dad had set up outside. Um, so I spent uh, a good portion of the morning uh, just by myself outside, like staring at this thermometer, making sure the oil um, stayed the right temperature. But, uh, but it was while I was out there at that fryer that I realized just how much this time of year that so often is a time of anticipation and looking um, towards the future. It's also this time of reflection, and I realized that as I began to think through giving, who I was going to reach out to or, or, or shoot a text to just to wish them a happy Thanksgiving. And, and, and so we're, we're, some of those people that I they reached out to, some of those are people I see daily. Some of those were people I see throughout the month, others throughout the year. Some of them even less than that. But the thing that they all had in common was that they were people that I value greatly and consider family. And so if you looked through my most recent text, you'd be able to see who I value most. And so I don't know who these people would be for you, but I found that most of the people that I reached out to that day weren't related to me by blood but they were people I would probably bleed for and I hope would do so for me. And so when you think about family, what comes to mind? Who comes to mind and why them? Uh, and so with that question in mind, th this morning what I want to do is introduce us into our Advent series where over the next four weeks we're going to look at someone from the family of Jesus and so for the, for, for the next four weeks, we're going to be in this book of Ruth looking at themes like family and loyalty and hope and how God works through these things to fulfill his promises to all those whom he considers family and who he calls friend. But specifically for today, I want to take a look um, at just some of the characters that are introduced to us in chapter one and see how they thought about family and more specifically how they did or didn't value being a part of God's. And so look with me at Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a family, a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, were Malon and Shilon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab, Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Shilon died so that the, woman was, the women were left without her two sons and her husband. All right. So in these first five verses, there's a lot of names and locations. 
And so I just want to spend a few moments here because understanding these things, I think, sets up so much of this book moving forward. And so um, first verse one tells us that this story of Ruth takes place in the time of the judges. Now, now just recently, we went through um, the book of Judges with you, and we learned during that period that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And And so hopefully if Evan and I did our jobs well, we successfully reminded you that, listen, when we make our decisions based off of what seems good to us, it's often bad for others, and it rarely goes well. And so as we continue to read into this book, uh, we, we, we quickly find that our first character is this man named My God is King, and he takes a wife named My Delight. And they leave a place named House of Bread because there is no food. And along with them, they take their children, sick and pining. This is what their names mean. And so these are our first two verses, an introduction to this book. And so this first chapter I want to look at this morning, I want to see this man, Elimelech, this father named my God as king. And I want to see in these first two verses, how much the author is able to just speak volumes into who he was and how he saw family. And so maybe some of this is speculation, but I think that it's pretty clear from just these first two verses that he loved his family. I think he married a woman named My Delight, and I think that was true for him. And I think he loved his children, and he didn't want to see them anymore be sick and pining. And I think that because we, we see him be willing to move his family out of the place that they know and into a foreign land in hopes to find something better. And isn't that something that we can relate to? Like fathers in this room, don't you feel the weight and the responsibility to provide for your families? I've talked to enough um, fathers and parents and worked with enough of you to know how seriously you take that responsibility and how you desire to provide everything that you can for your wife and kids. So, so first, guys, that's heavy and that's real. Like that responsibility um, weighs heavily on so many of you, um, and I see you. But second, I just want to cautiously pastor you to be careful with how you handle that responsibility. Like make sure that you're talking about these things with other men around you and godly men because it's so easy in our pursuit in one area to provide for our families that we end up starving them in another. And so here's what I mean. My father always talked about his responsibility to provide for the family and never once in my life was I worried if there would be food on the table. But Mr. Brown next door taught me how to shoot a hoop, not very well. <laughs> and Mr. Saris on the other side taught me how to ride my bike. And, and so for me, my father took seriously this responsibility to provide in a certain way for his family, and he did that well. But in so many other areas of life, he left me starving or feeling empty, desiring more. 
And, and so I don't want to throw my dad under the bus this morning. That happens so often in so many families. I do this too, just to give you an example. Just a few months ago, I put down a deposit on a storefront to start a third business. Um, and the day that I got the keys, my wife and I are in this building looking around, and she asked me to please don't. And I'm so thankful that she did. Because, see, I love to work. I love to start and build new things. I want to provide well for my wife and I. I don't want finances to be the thing that we struggle with. But in order to do those things, it takes a lot of time, which means I have to take time from somewhere or someone else. And so I'm grateful that in that moment I was smart enough to listen to my wife and to hear her and to stop before I went too far. But again, it is so easy for us in a pursuit to provide to lose sight of what provision really means. And so husbands and fathers, especially those named Kyle Connect, it's a good thing to desire to provide for your families. But make sure your definition of provision isn't just focused on food or finances. So in just two verses, we learn that a man named my God is king with a desire to provide for his family took them out of his king's land away from his God's family to raise them surrounded by a pagan people, often enemies of God because he believed that there might be a better provision there than what God could provide where he promised to. But as they often do, things weren't any better. Things got worse. And soon after moving, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi a widow with two sons. And so church, hear me this morning. I'm not saying that it's bad to move. That's not what this story is teaching us. I'm not saying that it's wrong to follow after an opportunity elsewhere, but what I am saying is that when you make a decision to take your family somewhere, make sure that it's not just based on what looks good to you, but that it's a decision God is involved in and would approve of. And so a job in a new place can often be provision from the Lord. So I was a pastor somewhere else for like 10 years, and it was a place full of good and godly people who loved me, who were family, but when Laura and I started to feel like maybe uh, it was time for us to move on, we prayed for two years uh, until this opportunity arrived. And it took like another year more before we made the decision to leave. But we were able to do that in confidence that we were following what, what didn't just look good to us, but was a provision and gift from God. And so what I'm saying this morning is that Elimelech shows us again what happens when we make decisions based upon what we see as good instead of what God says. I'm saying that it goes poorly and it doesn't just hurt him, though it does, he dies, but it hurts his family. His wife is a widow raising her kids alone. And so husbands in the room also hear this. In an attempt to provide for your family, you can run yourself into the ground. And whether it literally kills you or not, there are other ways that you can leave a wife alone to raise her kids. And so I believe that Elimelech cared for his immediate family, but in his pursuit to provide for them, he forgot the value of being in God's. And so he moved them and his family away from God's community, and in that process, he left a wife and children not just hungry for food, but starving 
for a partner and a parent. Don't make the same mistake. So here's our story so far. In just these first five verses of Ruth, we see a starving man who does what is right in his own eyes in an attempt to provide. And he takes his family away from God's in search of what he thinks looks better. But there they don't find what they're looking for. There isn't more provision. And instead, the father finds death. And now these sons grow up fatherless in a land ironically named of his father. And there they get married and then they die too, leaving three women now widows all by verse 5. Welcome to the book of Ruth. We're here till Christmas. But isn't this real life? Like in a limelech, you should probably see a bit of yourself and be asking, when I feel hungry or dry, physically or spiritually, where do I turn? In those moments, is God my king? Or am I quick to abandon him, his family and his promises? Do I hold firm in faith when things are hard? Do I trust that when God says he'll provide that he will? Or do I leave to find what I'm looking for elsewhere or on my own terms. Listen, if you've tried that, how did that go? Probably not well, especially if you're here now. And I know for me that when I look back at every time I tried to do it my way, it never ended the way I wanted or had planned. And listen, maybe things don't look good right now, and I get it, but why should that surprise us or be a reason to question our faith in the Father? Listen, when it comes to things like real estate uh, or retirement investments, we often believe and trust that things can go up and down, but in the long term, those are really good investments. Why can't we see that with a relationship with God who has all of human history to show us that despite the ups and downs, he makes good on his promises. Like he told Abraham, this man, that he would make him a father of many nations, and hasn't he done that? That's why a 30-year-old can stand on a stage on the other side of the globe thousands of years later and know his name because God made good. And he told that first nation that he made out of those people that he would rescue them from slavery 400 years later. And then he did that as he took his people away from the greatest empire at the time and led them through a desert and into that land of promise. And I could keep going, but I think you get the point. So often we trust in what we see instead of what God says, and it rarely, if ever, leads where we think it will. And just in this chapter, we'll see that God provides when our plans fail, even if we don't see it at the time. And so let's keep reading. Verse 16. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, Uh, And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? 
Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I would, uh, should, should I, I have hope, even if I should have a husband that night and should be born sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So with Elimelech out of the picture, let's turn our focus now to this woman, Naomi. By verse 6, she's lost her husband and her two sons and is left a widow with two young women, widows of their own, now in her care. And so without knowing what else to do, she plans to return home and to her people, and she tells her daughter to go and do the same. And so with care, she prays over them and and that God would deal kindly with them and that they might find new families in whose houses they could find rest. And and these women just weep together. And after some time, one of the daughters, Orpah, gives her mother this kiss of, of farewell and she departs, but Ruth stays. So I can't even begin to fathom the pain of losing your spouse or your children. But I know that some of you can. And for those of of you who can relate to the pain and the mourning and the tears that these women share, I'm sure you can understand why Naomi felt that the Lord's hand had gone out against her. And whether you've experienced um, the same specific loss of a spouse or child or not, I'm sure all of us have had these moments of suffering where we've asked God the question, why have you done this to me? And so if you're here this morning and that's you, listen, you're not alone in that question. In fact, that question kept me from God for years and it took years more for me to realize that I was asking the wrong question that maybe I was looking at God the wrong way. And and so I once looked at God as if if he was the one that was hurting me, but I never stopped to consider whether or not he could be hurting too. And and it took me, uh, it, it took someone who was committed to me the way Ruth was committed to Naomi to see not only that God was mourning with me in those times, but that he also continued to provide for me through it all. And so for me, it wasn't a loss in the family, but it was a broken family. And I blamed God for putting me there and for allowing these things that took place to happen, never considering that that was all a consequence of a world and rebellion to God and not a God punishing the world. But as I began to see that, I realized that all the people who clung to me in my mourning and anger were those who knew God and who were in his family and who invited me in as well. And so through them, God was able to reveal himself even more and I could see that when people were sick and sickness took a life, Jesus wept too. And when someone who was blind came to Jesus, he gave them sight. And when a rebellious world was doomed, God sacrificed himself and sacrificed his son so we could have a hope and an eternal life for us and for our families if we would cling to him the way that he was committed to us. 
And so through people who clung to me in my suffering, I found out how God sees and treats his family. And so in in Naomi, we find a woman who sought to return to God's land because he provided food where once there was none. But at the same time, in her mourning, she sought to push this family away, thinking there was nothing they could do for her or she could do for them. And while that seems reasonable, the story shows that it's wrong. And also poor Orpah. Like we never, one terrible name, but two, we never get to see if she's able to remarry. We, we never get to see if she finds that rest that Naomi wished upon her. But, but we do see that instead of Naomi, God's family clinging to her, she's sent away and back into the world. And so we can only hope that she found her way, but the sad truth is she's probably not and probably didn't find God. And so how tragic is that? Because she was suffering too. She lost her husband, and now through Naomi's insistence that she should go back, she was losing a mother and a sister as well. God's family didn't invite her in, but sent her away. And when in the, in the midst of suffering, it's, it's easy to tunnel our vision towards ourselves and, and to lose sight of other hurt around us. And beyond that, it's easy to think that we or they have nothing of value to offer the other. But through my own personal experience on both sides, I can tell you how valuable it is just to know that someone is there for you. And so I wish Naomi could have seen that here. So if you're here this morning and you're hurting, know first that it's not a result of God's hand against you, but a world against God. And second, that if you cling to God and his family, we will cling to you, because that's what God does and calls us to. Like, so like in Hebrews chapter 10, it puts it this way. It tells us, don't forsake the assembly, but instead encourage one another Don't take for granted our time together as a family, but instead enter that and encourage each other. 1 Peter chapter 2 puts it even more succinctly, just says, love the brotherhood. You know, as a pastor for years and as a youth pastor for many of those, uh, it was my job to spend time with and invest in um, students, junior high, senior high. Um, And I don't know if you've ever met a teenager but sometimes they can be a bit standoffish, especially if they're hurting. Uh, but the job involves spending a lot of time with these people who often I didn't even know if they liked me, but there were nights that I had to drive to a hospital because someone OD'd, um, and there were nights I was picking up students in the middle of the night because of their bad decisions, and, and I, had, I had other times where I was at a funeral where somebody close to them had died, and I was just there to sit with them in silence. But those moments made all the difference. And just being there also led to moments when I got to baptize people I saw come to know the Lord and witness students have these breakthrough moments and see them step up to serve. And probably best of all are these rare but precious moments when somebody just pops up from the past and 
they're adults now and I get to have conversations with them or I get this random text from somebody that just says, thanks for sticking with me when no one else did. And so we all need that. Naomi needed that. Orpah needed that. People willing to cling to us even when we try to push them away. But all of us, we tend to be like Naomi and feel like that we're a burden on others or they're a burden on us and that it would just be easier if we were left alone or if we just pushed people away. And so in my own life, I don't always get this right. Often I'm Naomi pushing that family away when I'm hurting or pushing hurting people away. But I told you this in my intro to this sermon that there are people that were on my heart on Thursday that I wanted to reach out to and, and give them this special uh, wish for, for a good holiday, a good Thanksgiving. And, and so all those people on those lists, those weren't people that I was a Ruth to, that I was clinging to. Those were all people who clung to me. And so that's what makes them so special. And that's what makes them so appreciated. And so listen, church, Naomi missed an opportunity to act like God's family and to minister to others who were suffering because she was caught up in her own pain. And, and in that state, she pushed people away instead of welcoming them in. Don't make that mistake. Because God's family is designed to be a place where hurting people can experience healing. And part of God's provision is people like you stepping up and holding on clinging to one another the way God has clung to us. So let's make sure this place is that. Naomi was in God's family but took that space for granted and missed an opportunity to invite others in. Is that ever you? As we move into verse 15 and on, we finally get to Ruth And we see she was committed to Naomi even when Naomi felt unworthy and uninterested. And even though hurting herself, Ruth saw Naomi and loved her enough to remain committed to her regardless of how committed Naomi may have seemed. And so listen to how Ruth does this beginning in verse 15. Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, She was determined to go with her. She said no more. So Naomi just continues to push Ruth away, but Ruth responds by making this covenant with her. And listen again to what she says. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Your home will be my home. Do you see what she does? Ruth, this foreigner from an enemy people, whether she realizes it or not, enters into the Abrahamic covenant. That's what she's done. Her promise is, Genesis 17, four through eight, that God will be her God and she will be in his family in the land of promise all her days. 
And here's why this is so radical. Ruth is making the decision to place God's family over blood. By clinging to Naomi and making this vow, she is marrying herself even more into God's family at the expense of everything and everyone she knows in the place where she was born and raised. And so now listen to me closely. I'm not telling you to leave your blood relatives and never talk to them again. As much as my home meeting likes to joke about this, we're not trying to start a cult here. (laughs) Tim, I need to make that clear to you. But I am telling you that when we look around this room, there's a reality to the fact that this room is full of family. And it's not like family, it's not similar to family, it's not analogous. If you're here and you're in the family of God, the blood that unites us is Christ's. And the spirit that makes us brothers and sisters is imperishable. So this tie goes beyond the grave. So what I'm saying is spirit is stronger than blood and we as God's people should live like that's true because it is. And and I think many of us here have experienced this reality in different ways, and that's a really good thing. But you know, there's other ways that we can experience it too. Like for me, I experience this sometimes at work. So for, for me, as a contractor, I spend a lot of time in other people's homes doing renovations and remodels, and, and there's a distinct difference when I'm in a Christian home and when I'm not. And so there's this different level of comfort and trust, and it changes everything. And so, so right now, one of the jobs that I'm on is this bathroom uh, I'm, I'm doing for a woman in Princeton. And as soon as she found out what my second job was, it's not that she was mean to me or anything before, but her home just opened up to me in a new way and immediately. Because I wasn't just some stranger now uh, demoing her bathroom, but I was a family member. And so the dynamics just shifted. And I think that's right. And, and so, so for us... As we look around, we should see the people around us as family. And so whether it's as simple as how we treat people in our homes or as complicated and messy as investing ourselves into the lives of others, we should treat God's family like they're ours because they are. And this is what Jesus says in John thirteen thirty five: By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I think Ruth gives us a model that we should aspire to. In Ruth, we not only see someone who realizes what it means to be a member of of God's people, but we find an outsider who joins this family and then models it to others. And all of us need to remember that we were once outside of God's family and that it was nothing we did to earn our place here. And because of that, we need to have compassion like Ruth even in our own moments of pain, to commit ourselves to the family and to be there for each other because none of us deserve the commitment more than anyone else. At the same time, we also need to trust God in his family and be vulnerable and let others in so that we can be ministered to the way God designed his family to do so. So how do you see and treat God's family? Are you like Elimelech who loved his immediate family but who chose to lead them away from God's believing that he could find better provision elsewhere? 
Or you often, Naomi, who who was so caught up in her own pain that she couldn't see the value of having God's family around her. Are you someone who often pushes people away instead of pull them in? Or are you like Ruth, who after entering this family of God, recognized how beautiful a place it could be, and who chose to cling to God and to his family because that's what he's done for us? As we continue through this book, we're going to be able to see how God's inviting his people to cling to him and to cl- by clinging to his family. And in Ruth, we find a story of God's provision and commitment to his promises and to his people, even when they may not see it. And it's my hope and prayer that through this, we'll find a new confidence to commit to one another the way Ruth committed herself to Naomi, and to be vulnerable, to be honest, allowing others the chance to do the same for us. So listen, God's designed a way for us to experience his love through a connection to his family. And here at Liberty, it's our mission to make the message of God's love, grace, and mercy clear through the community that you can find here. God's family is designed to be a place where hurting people can experience healing, and part of God's provision is people like you stepping up and holding on. So if you feel like you're on the outside this morning, plug in. Fill out a connection card, drop it off at the info table. Ask one of us about serving here or in our community or how to join a home meeting, which, by the way, has been just an amazing place and blessing for my family. And I think it can be for you, too. Or start even simpler than that and just introduce yourself to somebody new this morning. Don't be the father that leads his family out of God's. It's not better out there. Don't be Naomi pushing family away. Be Ruth who recognizes the significance of being in God's family and cling to it. God and his family are committed to you because we're a family bonded by the blood of Christ and the same spirit who raised him from the dead. God's family is designed to be a place where hurting people can experience healing. And part of God's provision is people like you stepping up and holding on. So treat God's family like they're your own, because they are. Let's pray.